We're going to be in the book of First Timothy, so I would encourage you to find your Bibles. Open to First Timothy, and we're going to begin in chapter number two. In many ways, the book of First Timothy is a church manual. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who he had left in Ephesus to oversee the congregation there, and throughout this book. Paul gives a lot of instruction to Timothy about the church and on various aspects of uh, leadership within the church. He covers a lot of ground. He writes about um, pastoral conduct, the qualifications of pastors, the qualifications of deacons. He writes about the authority structure within the church, the role that men and women have in the church. He talks about some who have left the faith and were Um, removed from the church. He writes about money and greed and the way we ought to look at money, which we talked about Wednesday nights. He writes about widows and how widows ought to be cared for within the church. So he does cover a lot of ground. And so it's a really important book for our church, for any church, um, for our church. And and the uh, the passage that we're going to really concentrate on this morning, Paul is going to really be focusing on the subject of prayer within the church, and specifically, um, really primarily, prayer for evangelism. And um, I got a a visitor. Wesley, come here, buddy. I'll be right back with you. Well, he wanted to join me, but trust me, that would not be a good idea. All right, so let's go ahead and read the text together. First Timothy chapter number two, beginning in verse one. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Lots about prayer. And prayer really is the easiest thing that Christians can do, that Christians are to do. We, we, to pray, we don't have to stand in front of a crowd. We don't have to sing in front of a congregation. We don't have to put on a suit and tie. We don't even have to get out of bed. You don't have to talk to a stranger. You don't have to spend any money out of your bank account. Praying really does require very little of us. And yet it's a struggle. 
and no doubt that is one of the reasons why there's so much in the Bible about prayer, because it's something that Christians all throughout history have really uh, struggled to do as they should. And so this morning, I want to look at these, Paul, uh, these words from Paul to pray for all men, and the role of prayer really in the congregation towards evangelism, because that really is his heartbeat here. And so first of all, I want us to see the, the preeminence of prayer. In the first verse that we read, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. First of all. There's a reason that Paul begins his instruction before he goes into all of the other things that um, the church is to do. He begins it with prayer. It's common for us to say the first thing, the most important thing first. If we're having a conversation, we might say to somebody, I got to tell you something, but first, let me tell you this. You got to know this. This is the most important thing. Prayer is to hold a preeminent place in the church. It's of utmost importance. Without prayer, the only thing we can accomplish is that which we can accomplish on our own, which is really worse than nothing. So we must pray. The context of this passage, as we've already said, is the church, just the assembly of the saints. It's, it's really praying when we're together, primarily. We're not assembled today, but we are an assembly. And praying is something that, as a church, as members of this body of Christ, is something that we must do. It's preeminent. It's not just on Sundays we're to pray. Monday through Saturday we're to pray as well. And we're to put the highest possible value on it. Prayer is our opportunity to enter into the throne room of God and make petitions before him. And Paul is pleading with Timothy, I exhort you, make prayer a priority in the church. And as we've said before, when you see a word like therefore, we understand that that's pointing back to something. And I won't spend a lot of time on this, but he's pointing back. He's, he's pleading with Timothy about the importance of prayer and about making it a priority in the church there at Ephesus. And he says, therefore, so he's goes back to what he was just previously talking about. And if you look just in the last couple of verse, uh, verses of chapter 1 and verse 18, he's charging Timothy that thou mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And he mentions two in particular, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. These two had left the Lord, had left the faith, and had been had to be removed from the church. And so immediately after saying that, Paul says to Timothy, Therefore, I'm urging you, I'm exhorting you to make prayer a priority. Making prayer a priority in our life will help shield us from those attacks of Satan perhaps that pulled Hymenaeus and Alexander away. So that's the preeminence of our praying. Secondly, I want to see the contents of our prayers, as we see here in verse number one as well. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We see four different words or phrases about praying, 
not exactly synonymous, but similar, and, and words and phrases that are used all throughout the scripture. The first is supplications, which has to do with our needs. It's requesting for the needs of others or our own needs. It involves knowing someone's needs and then asking the Lord to have those needs met, caring enough to not just be aware of someone's needs, but also to try to see what we can do about meeting those needs. That's supplication. People often ask you to pray for them, or they, or you may ask others to pray for you. You're asking them to make supplication because you have a need that you need to see met. And through that, we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then we see prayers. A more general word, but it really does carry the idea of worship. It's praying to God. It's not just getting our needs met by any means, but it really is praying to God. It's what we do when we meet together. We worship and we pray to God. It's a petition to the judge who is the judge above all judges, not just any judge, not just any king, but the king of all kings. And praying is worship. Thirdly, we see intercessions, which is even more a more personal act than supplications. It's really a face-to-face -face meeting with someone on someone else's behalf who is just helpless, someone else who cannot help themselves. And so we intercede. We meet with the one who has the ability to help on their behalf, someone who is in danger of wrath, of punishment, of destruction perhaps, and pleading their cause to the one who can make a difference. That's intercessions. It's more than just saying, God, please meet my neighbor's needs. It's begging God on their behalf. It's pleading for their cause as though it were my own cause. And when we have a true understanding of the depths and severity and evil of hell, it will cause us to intercede on the behalf of a lost world. And fourthly, we have giving of thanks we should always be a part of our prayers and everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus concerning you paul's prayers were always full of thanksgiving i thank god always on your behalf was a common phrase that paul would use thanksgiving was a part of his prayer philippians 4 6 and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto god so that's the contents of our prayers supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks. Thirdly, I want us to see the scope of our prayers. The scope of our prayers. When we're praying in this way, who ought we to be praying for? Who should be the recipient of our prayers? Certainly our families. We pray for our families. We pray for our children. We pray for our, our spouse. We pray for those that we love. We pray for our neighbors. Certainly, we pray for all of these, our close friends. But I want us to notice who Paul says that we ought to pray for in verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So who are we to pray for? We're to pray for all men. Who are we to give thanks for? We're to give thanks for all men. Who are we to intercede for? We're to intercede for all men. The word for men is anthropos, so it's not only the male gender, but it's all people, all of the human race. And, and the phrase all men certainly does not mean that we have a requirement to pray for every single human being alive by name, because a lifetime would not allow us to do that. 
nor does it mean that we can just pray sort of vaguely and generally, God bless everybody, God bless the world. I'm sure we've all been prone to do that before. But, but rather what it means is we're to pray for everyone with the exclusion of no one. In, in other words, we're not to leave anybody out in our prayers. We're not to leave people out. No people groups are to be left out. No economic classes are to be left out. No nations that we may not be thrilled with are to be left out. No ethnicities are to be left out. We're to pray for all men. We're to pray for the rich as well as the poor. We're to pray for those who are kind to us, and we're to pray for those who are not kind to us. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm sorry, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. Which to them seemed natural, and to us it seems natural. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But Jesus came in and kind of just wrecked things, and came in with a new way and a new commandment. He said, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. So we're to pray for all men. But we don't always pray for everybody, do we? I was thinking about some of the reasons why we may not be willing or we just don't obey the simple command. And I, there are several. I think laziness is a reason why we don't fulfill this command. We don't want to expend the energy. We don't want to do what's required. We don't want to get up early or stay up late. Laziness is a great hindrance to prayer. But if we're going to pray for everybody... It's going to require that we overcome our slothful tendencies. Selfish, selfishness is a, is a hindrance to praying as we ought to. We get so, so caught up in our own lives. We get so caught up in our own needs, our own families, our own problems. And interceding for others means that we have to make our problems, our needs, secondary. We have to put those aside for the needs of others. Pride. Pride is a hindrance to praying for others, for everyone. We look down on others as though they're undeserving of our prayers. We might say, you got yourself into this mess. I'm not going to pull you out. You can get yourself out of this mess. It was pride that kept Jonah from wanting to see the salvation of Nineveh, those people, those evil people. He didn't want those people to be saved. The, the Jews did not believe the Gentiles could be saved. And if we're honest, because of our own pride, we can put people into categories based on their economic status, based on their skin color, based on the way they look. And we can choose, maybe intentionally or maybe subconsciously, not to pray for certain people because of who they are. But we're to pray for all men. Apathy prevents us from praying for all people. We're just satisfied with the status quo. We're satisfied with praying for my family. We're okay. Things are good. No real crisis. We're just getting by. Perhaps the greatest hindrance to praying for everybody is unbelief. We just don't really believe that it will make a difference. We don't believe that our prayers are really going to change anything. We could list others, but the message is clear. We're to pray for all men, everybody. And specifically, he mentions those that are in authority. Verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority. 
We're to pray for everybody, but we're to make a special focus on those that are in authority over us, civil authorities, authorities at, at the place where we work, authorities in the home, authorities in the church, every, for kings and for all that are in authority. And we see that, it's such a pesky word, isn't it? In verse 2, all. All that are in authority. Nobody is left out. We're not given a pass for not praying for some people that are of a different political party than we are or have a different moral compass than we have. We're to pray for everybody that's in authority. We know that God can use a wicked king for his purposes just as well as he can use a godly king. We see that in scripture. Proverbs 21, 1 reminds us that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Perhaps the Lord saw fit to specifically call us to pray for leaders because he knows the tremendous impact that their decisions have on us and on the world. And, and, and prayer is a way to influence those we would never otherwise be able to influence. If you wanted to talk to the president and you decided today to dial up the White House, it's very unlikely that you're going to get him on the phone. The same would be true for the recipients of this letter. Their, their king, Nero, was the ruler at that time. Even if they wanted to talk to him, they wouldn't. But even if they did, they wouldn't have a way to, to talk to him. That's kind of a helpless situation. And so what Paul is teaching here is that you actually do have a way to influence them. The greatest way is through prayer. The greatest impact is not through petitions or phone calls or letters. Those things are all good and fine, but the greatest way that we can impact our authorities is by getting a hold of God and interceding for them and supplicating and praying. We pray especially for kings, especially for those in authority, because their decisions have far-reaching implications. They can make they can affect so many by their decisions. And yet we, as Christians, can have an audience with the one who holds the king's hearts in his hands. Isn't that wonderful? What if you're not a fan of the current president, or you're not a fan of the current your senator or your governor? What are you to do? Paul was likely, during this time of his writing, under house arrest for preaching the gospel under this pagan Roman empire. And he's urging these people under the same empire who is so, which is so heathen, and he's encouraging them to pray, to give thanks for them, to intercede for them, to supplicate for their needs. We're not told here to pray that leaders would be removed, that wicked leaders would be removed from office. We're not told that they would be zapped from lightning from heaven, from God. We're told to give thanks for them. Isn't that amazing? And to intercede on their behalf, specifically, as we'll see in some of the following verses, specifically for their salvation, that they'd come to a knowledge of the truth. Earlier, we saw the contents of our prayers, the supplications and thanksgivings and giving of thanks. And I, and I wonder if maybe we see those four different um, terms used. Because if he just said pray for those in authority, then we might try to give ourselves a pass by just saying Every morning, God bless our president. God help him. But instead, he's very specific. We ought to give thanks. We ought to petition for their needs. We ought to intercede on their behalf. Pray for their salvation. Paul was telling them, even though their authority, their empire that was ruling over them was wicked and 
gave uh, they were under great persecution, he was telling them they ought to pray with them, pray for them. It's easy to get frustrated and speak out against things that we don't agree with in our government. We see it all the time. We've seen it for all time. I think we see it even more right now with the COVID pandemic. We see that everybody has a strong opinion. And we've seen a lot of people just really spit out poison, I think, against our leadership of this nation, especially in different states. And I can assure you of this, however you feel about your leaders, none of the leaders that we have in our nation compared to Nero, none of them. None of them compared to what these people were under. He tortured Christians for sport, and yet Paul gives instruction not to speak out against them, but to speak to God for them. It's applicable for us. We're not persecuted in the same way that they were. Although sometimes we can feel like we are, maybe. I've seen recent people, I've heard people recently say that we're living in a, in a communist nation, or like this is like Nazi Germany because of some of the restrictions that have been put on in different states and even here locally for us. But however you feel about that, it doesn't really matter because what we're considering this morning is a call to pray for the leaders. It doesn't matter how you feel about them. It doesn't matter how terrible you think they are or how wonderful you think they are because Paul was speaking about the one of the most wicked leaders of all time, Nero. And he's telling these people who were persecuted who himself was in, uh, was persecuted and, and in prison because of this, who himself had been beaten because of the regime, and he's telling them to pray for them. So let me ask you, what does it cause you to do when you watch the news or hear about something that you disagree with in government? Does it cause you to speak out, to get angry, or does it cause you to pray? I think we would all agree that praying is the more Christ-like characteristic our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, he had been beaten and lied about and tortured, never should have been there to begin with. And his words were, Father, forgive them. He spoke words of intercession to the Father for them. I believe in, in, in calling out sin, I do. But I think it's possible as Christians that we can get in this sort of bubble where we think that everybody is against us. We think the government is against us. We think the media is against us. Everybody's out to get us. Liberals are out to get us. The CDC is out to get us. Facebook and Twitter are censoring us. Everybody's out to get us. We're the only ones who are good. Let's just hunker down, call them out for their sin. But the attitude of the Christian ought always to be of love and praying for them and seeking, ultimately seeking their salvation. What if we spent just as much time praying for our leaders as we do criticizing them or venting about them? What if we spent just as much time in prayer as we do that? Imagine the difference that it might make. We often tell children, you can make such a difference in this life. And we tell them, well, maybe one day you'll be president. Maybe one day you'll be elected to be the governor and you can make decisions to make a difference. But what Paul is saying here is if you want to make a difference, you don't have to get elected. You don't have to know people of importance. You just have to speak to the one who has all the power to make all the difference, to change the hearts of the kings. So we've looked at the preeminence of prayers, that nothing in the world is more important. 
the contents of our prayers. We ought to we ought to pray and supplicate and intercede and give thanks. The scope of our prayer is pretty wide, isn't it? All men, especially kings and everybody that's in authority. And finally, let's look at some motivations for our prayers. And we'll just get started on this today, and then Lord willing, uh, next week we'll continue it. The first motivation we see is in verse 2. We pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We pray that we may live in peace. We, we pray because godly leaders make for more peaceful lives, don't they? Godly fathers make for more peaceful families. Godly leaders are good for society. And so we pray that we'll live a, 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 um, a peaceable life. These Christians that were receiving this, they could use some peace. If their leaders were to get saved, it would no doubt ease the level of stress on their life. It ought to be our goal to live peaceful lives, to live quiet lives. It ought not to be our goal to try to stir up strife, to try to cause division, to try to always be making a scene. Christians are not to, to be that way. We're, we're not to create chaos. We're to be peacemakers. So there's a motivation to pray that we may be live lives of peace. And by the way, this is not a selfish desire. It's God's will that we would live a life of peace. We see it both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil and do good, seek peace, and pursue it. It's repeated in the New Testament in 1 Peter 3.10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. If you want to have a good life, if you want to see good days, Peter gives some instructions. Refrain your tongue from saying things you shouldn't say and seek after peace. Don't stir up fights. Stirring up arguments and divisions is not a Christ-like character. It should not be characteristic of a Christian. It's not a characteristic of a spirit-filled life. So the motivation for praying is that we'll have lives of peace and quiet and tranquility. The second motivation is very simple. Just four words in verse 3, beginning, for this is good. Because it's good. It's the right thing to do. Praying for people is the moral thing to do. It's the, it's the correct response is to pray for people. Desiring the well-being of others is just, it's just right for the Christian to do. Who would deny that? Desiring for people to have an inheritance in heaven rather than an eternity in torment and hell is just the right thing to do. It's good. It's right. We ought to pray for those. It may not feel good to pray for your enemies, it will be hard to pray for those who have hurt you. It will be hard to pray for those who have wounded you, who have, who have caused you to have permanent scars in your life. It will be difficult to pray for them, but it's the right thing to do. And again, we're following the example of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who prayed for those who hurt him, who despitefully used him. He interceded for them. We ought to pray because it's, it will bring peace we have to pray for others because it's a good thing to do. And lastly, 
we ought to pray, verse 3, because it's pleasing to God. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Praying for men is acceptable to the Lord. It's not acceptable for anyone to live apart from Christ. It's not acceptable for anyone to be an enemy of God. And therefore, the only acceptable thing that we can pray is that God would save sinners, that God would bring the lost to him. So we seek out the, law, the salvation of the lost, and we do that in part through prayer and intercession. And when we pray for those, when we pray for those who hurt us, we're acting just like Christ, and that's pleasing to God. When we pray for those in government that are, that are making decisions that we agree with, that's pleasing to God. And when we pray for those in government, we thank God for, for government, for those in government who, who are doing things that we do not think they ought to be doing, we're still pleasing God. So that's the motivation for our prayer, to make our lives, my lives peaceful, like God designed them to be. Because it's good and it's right, and Christians ought to do that which is good and right and virtuous. And because it's pleasing to God. And by the way, these things help the gospel go forward. A, a, a society, a peaceful society that's, that is, makes it legal to spread the gospel is what we desire. That's what we want. Next time, Lord willing, we come together. Next week, we're going to look at verses 4 through 8, which are some of the most wonderful verses in all of the Bible. And they speak to God's great passion for saving the lost. We're seeing the world come to him. And I, I want to just read those again before we go, just to kind of whet your appetite. Verse 3, he says, This is good and acceptable. Speaking about praying for all of these people, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, Who will have all men to be saved. There's that word all again. And to come unto the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. If we ever doubt whether or not it's the will of God to pray for the salvation of all people, we have to look no further than Calvary, where Jesus Christ gave himself, gave everything. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He went further than just praying, although he did pray for them. But he went further than just praying. He gave everything so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ gave everything. Surely we can pray. Surely we can do that. Surely we can set aside the things that have kept us from it the distractions, the selfishness, the pride, the apathy, the unbelief. Let's, by faith, believe that God is able to answer our prayers, that it's the right thing to do to pray for the lost, to pray for those in authority, that it's pleasing to Him. I want us to conclude this message in prayer. And, and as we do, I, I would like for each of us to ask God to help us to be mindful of, of the lost, to praying for the lost around us, to see people, not as we've seen them in the past, not as the uh, 
political party that they're associated with, not by the decisions they make, not by their presence on social media, to, to put all those things aside and to see people as God sees them, as, as souls that need to be saved and recognize the power of God to bring them to salvation. And God uses us to be a part of that through prayer. Let's ask him to have to give us a heart for prayer and a heart for people. Let's ask God to forgive us of the prejudices that we may have had towards certain pe people or people groups and repent of the our failure to obey the simple command to call to pray for all people. Let's let's repent where we've been satisfied with just criticizing our leaders and and, and ask God to help us to become prayers. I exhort, therefore, he said, I'm pleading with you, pleading with you that prayer would be a part preeminent in your life. Let's pray together. Father, you're so merciful to us, and we thank you for your great mercy. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, who gave his very life a ransom for us. And now, Lord, you've called us as a church to, to pray, to pray for people that they would understand the truth, that they would come to the knowledge of the truth, that they would see their life, Lord, as it is, as being far from you. And God, we just pray. To, even, even now, Lord, we pray for those that are in authority over us. God, we pray that you would, today, the gospel would find them, the truth would find them. Lord, that it would find willing hearts and listening and ready hearts and minds. And Lord, we pray they'd be saved. And we help us as individuals and families to begin taking this serious this matter of praying for all people, to setting aside the necessary time, putting aside the things that are keeping us from it, and Lord, help us to be obedient, to pray, to do our part, to beg you to intercede on the behalf of the lost for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.